This is Spiritual Directors Talking About Stuff, the podcast where spiritual directors talk about stuff. How do we experience God? How do we evolve in our understanding of faith? How do we expand our picture of God's love? These questions and more will guide our talks. Here are your hosts, Chris Aker and Maggie Schlosser. Welcome back to another episode of Spiritual Directors Talking About Stuff. Today, Chris and I will continue our conversation with author Mark Gregory Karras about his book, Religious Refugees. So let's jump right in. When uh, someone in spiritual direction is um, is in this point of, of teetering between, you know, to be or not to be, you know, that can be a, um, a difficult experience for the director. Um and I mean, of course, it's difficult for the directee, but I think for the director, it's it's difficult too because, you know, we we want to see them grow, we want to see them move into a new place of wholeness um, or closer to to wholeness. Um, but again, you know, it, it's it's not our timeline; it's it's God's timeline. And you know, if, if that person then decides to go back to the comfort of home, then that has to be okay with us, and and we just have to say, okay, God it's not the time yet, you know, um, that person's not ready. Um, and then we just continue to, to, to sit with them. Um, alternatively, if they do decide to, to take that leap of faith, um, you know, I, I think at least I would secretly inwardly be cheering and saying, yay, God, I'm so glad that they're going to take this step. Yeah. And that's where non-coercive love comes right into play just being with people where they're at the Rogerian sort of unconditional positive regard, empathy and congruence and just full acceptance. Can we as spiritual directors and therapists, and that's the hard part when we, I, I think they should be somewhere else, but can I truly accept them where they are at? It's a, it's, it's can be a challenge and that's where, we have to be connected to non-coercive love to exude uh, that kind of atmosphere of non-coercive love. Station four, Mark, you call that returning home different. Talk to us a little bit about that station and, and what it, what it might look like to someone who has uh, been in this deconstruction journey. Yeah, this is so, so with three, right. To be or not to be now we're at the crossroads, Right. Do I basically make a choice to remain a homebody or do I daringly walk a road less traveled? And so with those two paths come station four or station five, right? So we're talking about station four and really simply it's somebody who chooses to go back home. And with that practically, and whereas the other path, that would be station five. And that's where, Okay, I'm going to walk the road less traveled, and that's where disorientation really comes to the fore. So, station four is basically going back to their church, to what's their tried and true, familiar people, and their familiar practices, and familiar propositions, and familiar principles, which they've always felt comfortable. Right? They they arrive back in the same place, but maybe a little different. Uh, and now they're maybe you've read books and listened to podcasts and met with, you know, like-minded people who've helped them uh, be firmer in, in sort of the tried and true uh, beliefs they, they may have once had. So it's just returning home, maybe slightly different, 
maybe what some of those pesky cognitive dissonance pushed way down and maybe them even experiencing themselves as being more stronger and faith-filled, uh, fighting for the truth that was once delivered unto the saints. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yes, I, I think that in, in terms of, of Hagberg and Gulick's stages, I think this is this is where you walk up to the wall and you face the wall and some people may say, no, I'm not going to go there, you know, and then turn around and go back home or or move into station five and just you know, walk straight into the wall. Beautifully said, yes. Mark, do you see a lot of people that kind of cycle through these stations one through four over and over and over again and never choose to go into five? Or is there a sense of every time that they return home a little different that eventually that catches up to them and uh, they have no choice but to take the road less traveled. You know, in my experience, I think, I think there are outliers. Uh, I think there, there are people who kind of travel and hang out in these stations a little cyclically. I, I do think inevitably, if, if it's cyclically like that, as opposed to they've stayed home and, like I said, they could be home for 10, 20 years. Some people could stay home. And, and, and I've met people who stayed home till they died. But if they wind up, you know, cycling back maybe three, four, five times, I, I do find that they inevitably, it, it crashes in on them. It's just something within themselves doesn't allow them to stay home. And that proverbial beach ball, just it just pops up with such force at some point. And here we are, uh, we're in station five and that's full on. All right. I'm not going to avoid it. Uh, and, and listen, one of the reasons why people go back home is because God's judgment can be an incredible motivator, right? Or fear of losing friends and family or loss of identity. It can scare the heretical hell out of people. So that's why they, they go back home. But some, if it cycles that much, I think they they can tend to go to station, uh, what is it, four um, and five, and that's a disorientation. Yeah, station five uh, is no fun <laughs> whatsoever. Um, yes, I remember, I remember, and, and and still feel like it in in some ways am disoriented in, in some of my own life. But but yeah, it just it feels like. You're always on shaky ground. There's no firm footing. You're trudging through quicksand. Um, it's just, it, yeah, it, it's no fun whatsoever. When I was going through this station of disorientation, I felt very lonely. I felt that there was really no one that understood me that, um, and there were, I even was told by a church that where I was working that said, um, my boss told me not to talk about these things with other people. And I really did think that he doubted my salvation as a Christian just because I had these questions. I had these splinters that I just couldn't not deal with and not wrestle with and walk through. And uh, um, and honestly, being able to leave that church eventually and taking the time to really just allow myself to be disoriented and have a spiritual director that companioned with me while I was disoriented and didn't tell me to snap out of it was the most healing thing that could have ever happened to me in my relationship with God. 
Yeah, I I think because of of this disorientation, maybe maybe that is our natural our natural inclination is to to withdraw into ourselves because we feel like there's so much um, you know so much disorientation going on that we can't talk about it with someone else because there's there's you know you don't know if someone else is going through it either and if you bring it up maybe you're gonna you're gonna give yourself away and they're gonna you know call you a heretic so we withdraw with into ourselves and when we really need you know community more than ever mark earlier you had talked about a lot of fear in this part of the journey um is that very characteristic of disorientation fear is definitely one of the uh, emotions that is prominent in this stage right so i mean this stage is just it's terrifying and there's a spectrum there's some people that i've talked to i mean it's on the low end of the spectrum where yeah i mean it it, it didn't bother me as much i i was i was upset and hurt for a little bit and like there are some people who just they get through it right it was it wasn't a big deal uh, but there they were slightly disoriented as opposed to people on the other spectrum where there is literally nightmares and panic attacks and anger and shame and fear and anxiety and sleepless nights and fear of rejection and real rejection and confusion. This amalgamation of this, yeah, the kaleidoscopic experience that it's so disorienting. Um, and that's what we'll talk about what could be helpful in that. But that fear is, man, it's palpable. Because here we have a situation where I, and this was true for me, if I, uh, so let's make this practical, right? I had the, the, the belief, every passage of scripture must be taken literally, and therefore a holy and just God does use violence to punish disobedience. That was the belief I held. Then these new emerging, what I, you know, the, I call them the technical word for theotoxic beliefs, was God cannot be less loving and less wise than we are. And God is love, and love does not perpetuate gratuitous violence. Therefore, not all scriptures should be read literally. So the battle was on between these two beliefs. And then when I gave myself fully to this emerging um, splinter, uh, this, this was actually a good one, a good splinter, yet it still was very painful, that God was loving and God is not less wise than we are and God wouldn't just kill and maim and command those things as a wise disciplinarian. That doesn't even make sense. But when I gave myself to that, then it was, oh my goodness, I'm a heretic. I'm being called a heretic. I mean, being, being, being called an apostate now that I no longer believe the Bible is inerrant and the word of God as they perceive it, I'm becoming ostracized. I'm not being invited to speak at different places now. Now I'm also thinking that God hates me. And I, I know it's not maybe the most rational idea, but now I have the most powerful, you know, divine being not liking me right now because I'm questioning his word. And that fear that comes from those things, you know, where am I going to go? Uh, aloneness is one of the most deepest, it's, wor it's worse than uh, cigarette smoking, right? Loneliness kills. It's for our nervous system, it's deadly. And I was scared to death. I, I didn't know what to do with that. God doesn't like me. The church doesn't like me. Who am I? Where am I to go? 
I'm lost, abandoned, and I'm really frightened what this means for me. And I'm sure that other people, you know, I know can, can relate to that. Dis, we're talking about disorientation. Oh, yeah. I mean, I could feel my blood pressure rising just hearing you talk about it. Um, yeah. I apologize. No, it's, hey, it's, <laughs> it's, it's the way it is. Yeah, um, and I know. The, and, you know, a lot of the, the, the things that you do fear, like rejection, you mentioned, you fear rejection. And, and quite likely you will be rejected. I mean, it may actually happen. You know, you will have people who you thought you were your friends and they will reject you because, well, I mean, how can they be friends with a heretic? That goes against all of their religious rules to be friends with you and to be in relationship with you instead of, uh, what was the, the phrase you used, Mark? Uh, non-coercive love. Is that right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep. Mm-hmm. So uh, they could, uh, um, it's almost like missionary dating of like, oh, I'm going to like date you and save this person. I'm going to like <laughs> be in relationship with you to get you back home to where you're supposed to be. And so there's yeah. a, a tension in your relationship. So you can either speak up and tell them out of fear that they're going to try to like get you saved again, because whatever you're doing is wrong. Um, or they'll just break off that relationship with you altogether. A lot of fears. And then the fear of, I don't want to contaminate people. Um, now this gets more complicated when, you know, for spouses who may be in a disorientation station and, um, or, you know, a pastor and, you know, having his wife, you know, you don't want to taint people's faith. I, I didn't want to harm people. I, I love people. And I felt for some, if I told them, maybe they would start questioning and then God would be mad at that. Like, I didn't want people to be the way I was, which felt terrifying. So it's such a, so many nuances to, to this particular station and, and our relationship with other people. And yeah, and, and like you said, beautifully said, Maggie, we, we don't want to be projects to be fixed. You know, we don't be the backslider, you know. Oh, Mark, I'd love to hang out with you. I know because I'm the backslider. You want to fix me. You want me to be saved again. I get it. Mark, what did you do during this station? How did you handle your dread and anxiety and feelings of rejection and fear and all of that? I think that I felt alone. Uh, I did isolate myself, my interior world. I, I did for a time. And I think that's where the next station, Angstville, comes into play, right? Where the predominant, and we'll talk about that, the predominant experience of anger and doubt and cynicism. So I think it led to that. I, and I think isolation does breed, it does prolong the station, uh, the next station we'll, we'll talk about, uh, station six. So I think I was in Angstville, uh, station six for a bit. And then I think I, I started reaching out. Um, I started listening to podcasts. I felt normalized by reading a little Pete Enns or Brian McLaren or Rob Bell. Uh, and so stuff like that, just, um, yeah, I'm not alone. And that's the, that's the point. That's the piece. That's the bridge to the healthier station is I'm not crazy. I'm not alone. People are there. God still seems to love them. They still seem to love God. They're pretty vibrant in their faith, actually. They're, oh, like I won't be hanging out with Satan, you know, the the questioner of God's word forever. And 
like I, almost like I felt accursed that if I really go down this road, I literally, God's blessings and favor would be gone from my life. I would go into a depression, mental illness, some kind of addiction. I would be homeless. Now, this is the brain, right? It's just, it starts to catastrophize. But when you feel that God is not on your side, well, all hell can break loose in your life. And that's not a fun thought to have. Yeah. Wow. Um, I think as a spiritual director, what what I see um, my role as in this particular station for a directee is to simply be that that one steady, um, consistent voice and person in their life when you know everything else seems to be exploding and blowing up in their faces. Um, you know, as as we've said before, it's, it's not my job to to tell them, you know, well, you need to get out of this. Um, you need to move on. You need to, you know, it, it's not my job to tell them anything. I think later on and uh, somewhere else in this book, you said, you know, um, who are we to put a timeline on someone's grief process or their, their, mm. their processing of their, their feelings. So. Right. There's no uh, one size fits all. Right. God ordained, you know, process sent from the heavens the golden lace textbook that uh, we can use to get through our, our grief process. Can I also share, Chris and Maggie, what's so important, I think, as spiritual directors and as therapists in this stage, is to help folks order their experience, not tell them where they should go, but help them. There's a sort of this um, phrase, there's it's importance to name to tame. Right. If we can name our emotions and name our experience, that can bring some order in some being able to make sense of it, thus relieving our anxiety and relieving our sense of, uh, you know, because it's sort of this global distress. I just feel like I'm a hot mess. But when we help them delineate fear and shame and anxiety, right, and pain and hurt and, and these different sadness Oh, this is what I'm feeling, right? Because each emotion uh, it communicates information and has a plea for action that moves us somewhere or is supposed to move us. So I think this is such an important part of our work in these stages to help them name what they're experiencing and because it's, it's really conveying some powerful information for them. So what I'm hearing from you is that emotions are very, very important. <laughs> yes, yes, we need to listen to them. Emotions are powerful. Like I said, part of the problem is a lack of coherence and the lack of meaning and lack of understanding. And so I, I'm just a mess. I, I feel terrible, like these global statements. Um, I don't feel clo close to God. My relationships are a mess, too. But to help them delineate what they're experiencing in their emotions to then, because if they could feel their sadness, well, then they'll know that sadness is an emotion that communicates loss. We can connect the sadness with the loss, which then has a plea for action, which is to move us to maybe experience the comfort from maybe the therapist or spiritual director or maybe they can comfort themselves or have God comfort them or the fear. Ah, and this... That's what's happening. I'm afraid. Like, I'm afraid of being rejected by the community. 
or being rejected by God. Now I can name that. Oh my God, I don't feel so crazy. This makes sense. Or the shame I'm experiencing from being rejected from my community. The sense of I'm not okay, I'm flawed, I'm tainted, I'm no good. That's what shame is. Oh, I'm not crazy. Other people feel shame too. I can make sense of it. And then once I can name it, I can tame it, and then I can do something about it, as opposed to it being all global. That's very good. That goes back to that emotionally healthy spirituality is being able to pay attention to our emotions, ask the good questions of them to understand what they're really telling us, and then use that to learn more about who we are and who God is, and trusting that the spirit within us is using our emotions to help take us to a better place. Right. And, and just a, a, one last point of if we're engaging in our defenses and avoidance and busyness and suppression and sublimation and any other kind of defense we're using, then we don't have access to the important information our emotions are trying to tell us. That's why it's so important to help them get in touch with what they're feeling, to make sense of what they're trying to say, and then sort of act out of that information in a healthy and adaptive way. Mark, I'm sensing that self-awareness, especially in these stages, is so, so important. Uh, what do you think these stations would be like for somebody that isn't self-aware or is not interested in engaging in some self-awareness? There's a four-letter word that comes to mind. I suppose it could start with an F, but I think it starts with an H, a hell. Um yeah, I'm fully convinced that what makes our experience less heavenly, uh, less full of love and vitality and full of life is the splitting off, the not being aware of the vital core aspects of who we are. Because all these emotions are trying to communicate to us, to tell us what we need, to tell us what's important to us, right? It's important to be in touch with my anger. If I split it off and I don't acknowledge it, I'm not getting in touch with my anger, which is saying, according to your being, Mark, this feels unjust, right? Anger is an emotion that, that says to us, there's some kind of injustice. We're getting something that we want that we're not getting, all right? Or, or we're getting something we don't want, right? It's this sort of sense of, so it's important. And if we're not listening to them, we're just, we're, we're lost, we're confused, we're oppressed, we're bound uh, by these feelings that um, are just trying to say, can you listen to me? But that's where we may need people to decipher the code of these emotions, to help them make sense of it, to walk alongside folks that we don't have the modeling. We don't know how to do this stuff. I didn't know how to do this stuff. Until, you know, I, I had some training or experience or some others sat with me and helped me make sense of my interior and have words um, or allowed me to just sit and be present and allow my words to emerge, um, to emerge of what is my core of feelings here. Very powerful. But without that, uh, we're floundering. Yeah. I think also what is very, very valuable in this uh, station of disorientation is to have a community that you can talk to um, and, and that you, you know, preferably that are, that are people who have 
either been through this before or are also going through it simultaneously with you so that you can you can hear from them oh yeah i'm doing that too i'm experiencing that too you're not crazy you're not the only one yes um, that's so valuable and and a lot of times you won't you may not have that from people who used to be your friends because you know they're they're not in the same place they might not understand what's going on so um yeah you know it's 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 valuable to find people and for me it was it was a couple of facebook groups that i ended up getting a part of and that were just lifesavers for me uh, as i was going through this yeah people people say that this is a hard task well mark there is nobody or mark i don't want to trust again i trusted people this is what happened to me and so I, I sit with them with that and I, the, the pain of that, it's, it's real. And then there is a point in which, well, do you want to stay here? Or there is another option, but it's going to be dangerous and risky as hell. You have to find somebody, you know, right? Like Sam, like Frodo needed Sam Wise and Batman needed Robin and, Superman needed Batman and, uh, you know, in the, uh, like Spider-Man needed people in one of his last movies. Like we can't do it alone. And so I, I acknowledge that it's hard. Uh, men, I mean, it's hard to find, you're lucky you have the research shows one or two friends max, right? So it's, yes, it's hard, but what's harder is staying alone and in isolation. And what that does to the body, to the mind, to the spirit, that's hard too. And so I hear you. You have two roads ahead of you. And I'll sit with you whatever path you choose, right? Yeah. So we've already talked a little bit about uh, Angstville. We've, uh, it, Mark has mentioned it in the past. Um, but that is Station 6. That's it's, it's called Angstville. And that is really where you just, um, quote, it's, almost like they're stuck in a time warp with the trauma of their Christian past looping continuously through their mind. And, and I, I, I remember that, that uh, feeling of just being just angsty and so angry and feisty. I just wanted to get on Facebook and tell off my previous church and, and, you know, and I, and I did say some things that were very unkind. And I remember as I was, as I was going on there, just feeling so justified in saying those things about, uh, people in my past, I was still very surprised at myself, you know, like, Chris, that's not you. But, you know, I was just angry. Yeah, I remember being feisty myself. Um, I was in Angstville. And I, I think it was a perfect segue of Angstville, I think, in part, is what happens when we're not being known. And we're not being, we don't have that empathic, compassionate presence. We don't have witnesses those people who are witnessing and being those people who are with us in uh, what I call, you know, we need that sort of unholy hullabaloo. Those, those group of people who delve into the, the darkest depths of who we are with all the anger and rage and, and hurt and pain and shame and loneliness. And, but if we don't experience that to some degree, I think that's where Angstville comes into play. And like I said, that's where, a lot of anger and doubt and cynicism comes. To, I, I was there. I was like, I remember vi I visited some churches with some friends. And I, I remember this one time just cursing just to get people's reaction. And like, just to be feisty. Like I didn't give a damn. 
like you, you holy rolling Christians and, you know, they were doing uh, some altar calls and I was, I was just, uh, I was hurt, but I, it came out as, you know, anger and, and coldness. So I, I remember that very vividly and questioning everything and didn't care. And let me get into an argument with this person about this doctrine and this, you know, screw God. And it was, yeah, it was a, a real place. And some people can stay there for quite a bit of time. Yeah, it's it's not not fun. I mean, I, it's a different kind of not fun as, uh, you know, the disorientation was, but uh, it's, it's still, it makes you feel just, I don't know, dirty because I know this is not, this is not me, you know? And I know for me, you know, kind of picking fights with people or kind of starting to like stand up and say, this is what I'm thinking about. Like, I want to talk about this. I want to push buttons was kind of my way of coming out of isolation to kind of try to get attention and community again. Um, as this new person with these potentially new beliefs that I was still wrestling through. And, um, and uh, yeah, I was very angry and uh, hanging on to all of the, all of the hurts um, that I had experienced. I didn't want to give up that hurt uh, because that felt safer than, than everything else that I had been hanging on to of, because uh, uh, I knew I couldn't go back to, the old religious rules and the old, um, uh, the, the old ways of thinking and doing that had worked for so long. And I knew that wasn't going to work again. I couldn't go back there. And uh, so who can I get to come with me now that I'm able to stand up and talk about it a little bit more? Yeah. Yeah. I have a lot of compassion for people in this uh, station, Inksville. Um, it makes sense. There's a lot of anger. Uh, we don't know what to do with it. A lot of hurt. You know, we don't know what to do with these things. It's almost a, a rite of passage to go through the station. So, you know, we just I just want to normalize it. Um, and it, it's for many, not not everyone, but it is kind of par for the course. And it's almost like this station, if people don't get out of it, I, I think of it sort of as pure deconstruction. Uh, but deconstruction without reconstruction tends to be just destruction and you, you tend to hurt yourself. Uh, for those who are cynical, you know, it makes sense, uh, but you know, a cynicism assumes that people will act out of their worst intentions instead of their best. And we know whether it's anger or cynicism, the neuroscience and research shows that it's harming you. It's harming us. It's uh, affecting our bodies. It's increasing the stress hormones, the glucocorticoids. It's, you know, at some level, it's um, it's doing more damage to us than potentially anybody else. But we're hurting. We're angry. And and people in Angstville need to have people in their life that speak things um, as if that aren't that as though they are. Seeing the best in people, seeing their core, seeing who God sees them as. And just being with them in their anger and normalizing it. Of course you would be angry. Listen, this pastor did this to you, right? Um, the, your community, like you were, you were just questioning, right? You, you weren't like trying to be a jerk or anything. You had legitimate questions. And look what Nancy did. She totally, she called you a heretic and she called you out online. Like, of course you would be hurt and devastated, right? Like, 
you know, they're sending prayer chains out for your salvation. Yeah, this stuff, man, it, it hurts. I would be angry too. And just be with people in that. And that's, that's what we need to do with people in the station. And the, the honor that a spiritual director can give that person that's so angry and feeling disconnected, um, that a spiritual director can give somebody that, that, uh, the word you used was witnessing, you know, to mm-hmm. witness and be with them, to give them an empathetic presence, I think is really, really important for, for someone that is walking through these stations. Yeah. As opposed to a, what sometimes they receive, uh, look, they're just, man, they're, um, they're apostates. They're, they're heretics. They're, they're not praying enough. They're not fasting. They're not reading the Bible enough, right? They're li- Of course, they're listening to these, you know, deconstructionist podcasts, right? They're listening to Christopher and Maggie. Come on, you know, and they're, they're judging, criticizing, condemning. That's not what these folks need. And this is why much of the church is creating a new mission field. But paradoxically, they are the mission field. <laughs> They're the ones who need more Christ to those unconformed aspects of their soul. Yeah, so it's it's very interesting. So can you tell us a little bit about this next station, Station 7, called Farewell and Goodbye? Some people, okay, they, they've gone through disorientation. Uh, they may have gone through Angsville. And so 7 and 8, it's sort of a, now we're at a new pathway. Uh, we're at crossroads. Uh, so... We can either go to Station 7 or we can go to Station 8. And Station 7, and I've met people here, they're, they're, um, they're, they could be spiritual and they could be looking for a home, but it's not in the Christian tradition any longer. They, sell, they say farewell. They say goodbye. If they do it well and they get, a, get out of Angstville, I've met people where it's just no longer for me. I don't curse anybody. I'm not filled with so much anger anymore. It's just the Christian tradition is no longer for me. Maybe now I'm a Buddhist or maybe now I'm an atheist. Um, Or maybe, listen, don't label me. I'm just, I am who I am. But there is a sense in which they have said, you know, I'm done with the Christian faith. And it's not F you, right? I'm just, I'm at a better place no longer belonging to this particular tribe. And that's where some of the stages or the stage work, I don't think they give enough credence to people in this station where they assume in a linear fashion, you know, they'll eventually get to my station, which is station eight. Uh, But it's not always the case. And I think we need to, you know, have compassion and talk about in, in in a beautiful way, these people who, you know, they're led somewhere else. And can we bless them on their journey to this newfound destination? Yeah, I, I think, though, um, you know, looking back at Hagberg and Gulick's stages, um, I think it's possible for someone within their stage, their stage six, which is the last one that they identified, could get to this point where they, they, they are in this, where, where Christianity may not be their home, but, but their, their sole focus is just, just loving loving others, loving themselves, um, loving whatever they feel like God is at the time. Um, so, you know, they've, 
they've gotten to that point where there's there's nothing else that matters besides love. Yeah, and help me here on their approach. I do get the sense that that God is still inextricably connected to all the stations, including their last one. Whereas, you know, I want to honor the atheist who says, no, I, I'm, I don't want you to put God on me. I'm not in relationship with God. I'm not in relationship to what you're calling me the transcendent, which I know you Christians calling God. I'm, I'm just, I'm at a new place and I, I'm not, I, that just, that bothers me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you're right. Um, that they were writing pretty much strictly from the Christian context. So, so yeah, so all their stages would, would be within that, that Christian context and God would still be a thing to someone in stage six. Um, yeah. So I, so I see the distinction now with station seven. This is just a joke, but it sounds like um, the stages of faith is very um, Calvinist and it's like once saved, always saved. And then Mark, you're giving someone like the option to like walk away, you know, like in Arminian theology of like, oh, well, if you can get saved, you can get unsaved, you know. And so I do think that gives such honor to everyone on their journey, no matter where they land, whether it's within the Christian faith or or not another faith or no no relationship with god at all and i think that farewell and goodbye really really gives people that honor on their journey yeah and and in the context of spiritual direction i think at this you know at some point there's definitely spiritual directors outside of the christian faith so it's not strictly christian um at some point you know maybe the the directors and the directees may have to have a conversation and say, you know, maybe, maybe this is the point where we part ways. You know, I, I may not have anything else to, to, to offer you. Yeah. Beautifully said, Chris. Mark, tell us about extreme makeover home edition. I feel like I Woo! should be sitting in front of the television while you're and watching, um, watching a TV show <laughs> while you're telling us about this. So tell us a little bit about the extreme makeover. Ah, we're home, baby. But it ain't your grandmother's home. It ain't, it ain't home like it used to be. We, we're at a new place, a new space. And, and this is where, um, you know, we're not disoriented any longer. This is, I'm comfortable. You know, hey, I'm, I'm chilling with ends. I'm chilling with Belle. Yo, I read his latest book. God is great. Things are good. I love myself. I love community. I do have different ways of looking at things and I'm still loved. I can fight for the truths that God has placed in my heart and I'm still loved. I can look at the Bible differently. I can look at church differently, uh, God differently, you know, so everything has a new, uh, new flavor to it. And this is where that extreme home makeover uh, comes into play right? To move from the feelings of safety and security at home, becoming aware of emerging contradictory beliefs, experience profound grief and disorientation, and now have moved to a place of acceptance in which they choose growth and spiritual metamorphosis, right? And I'm cool. Yes, I know you still believe what you believe. And this is, in psychology terms, this would be differentiated. I'm okay. Like, you're not ruffling my feathers by talking about hell. Or talking about, like, I need to believe the Bible as inerrant without any mistakes in it whatsoever. And divine violence, yes, that's God's, uh, that's how he rolls. 
I don't feel personally anxious anymore. You know, it, it's it's not a trigger for me as another word. And I'm okay with that. You are who you are. I am who I am. And I feel blessed in God and blessed in the community that I now have found, whether it's online, whether it's a few people I meet on a, in a coffee shop. Yeah, so that's what I think of when I think of Station 8. So you're saying that it's okay to go to a Rob Bell show and we can still stay saved at the end of the day. Oh, no, no, no. Don't get me wrong. If you are listening to Rob Bell, you are in danger of eternal damnation. But no, of course. Yeah. But the beautiful thing is you can go to a Rob Bell show and there's no anxiety. Right. That's what's beautiful. about. And it takes a while to get to this point. All right. Because some of your listeners are like, yeah, when I listen to, you know, if John Piper or someone quoted him on Facebook, I still get triggered, right? I, or if someone talks about L or the abomination of this practice or this engagement or orientation, I get triggered as all hell. So I'm not there yet. But that is a place I think we can get where we can be differentiated, where we can be so accepting of ourselves and where God has us, but still fight passionately for issues of social justice, of God's heart. But I do say that this is my hope in the ideal station eight here where we can still value the image of God and people and not become who we have so fought against, which is fundamentalists or a, a sort of rigid faith where now we are sort of the Israelites who have been saved from Egypt, who are now oppressing and committing genocide through our verbal barbs and bullets that we give to other people. In other words, you know, I'm now judging vehemently the conservatives, you know, to me, that's not fully arriving at station eight. So I'm sensing a journey that starts looking from station one to station eight, a journey that starts with, uh, this is where I feel safe. And then there is some anxiety and fear once we move out of the safety zone. And then we ultimately have the the option, the opportunity to find real peace and acceptance in a different kind of safety in this, this renovation of, of our inner home. Yeah. When you, when I hear you talking, like to keep it simple, you know, orientation, disorientation, reorientation, right? Would you say there's any sense of relief when you reach station eight or is it not, is it something else? Relief. Yeah. Say, say a little bit more about that word, Chris. What I'm thinking is, you know, you've gone through such hell through the disorientation and angstville and, um, you know, cycling back and forth, maybe between going back home and coming back out and going that, you know, eventually you get to the point where you realize, phew, that was hard, but I'm, I'm glad that I am at where I am now. Yes. This is the paradoxical nature of disorientation, that if we just go through it, if we just go through it with community and and with the spirit, if that's how you so choose, there is another side. There is a place of reorientation. There is a place of relief, of I love, it's so symbolic of the, ah, I could breathe. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay believing what I believe now. I'm lo I'm loved. I'm accepted. 
I don't need labels. I don't need to fit the categories that you so desperately want to fit. I'm, I'm other, I'm, I'm being, I'm, I'm becoming rather, rather than being, right? I'm a, more a human becoming rather than a human being, right? I'm on journey. I don't need to fit into the box anymore. And that is liberating. It takes a lot to get there, right? One of the hardest things is, well, you know, who am I? What do I believe? What do I believe about God and all? It's, it's huge to get to a place where this is who I am. Or to get to the place where I no longer need to have all the answers to all the questions. That in itself is a relief. That I can take hold that God's grip on me is a whole lot tighter than my grip on the ineffable, you know, indescribable God where almost apophatic theology seems so par for the course here. I don't need to figure it out. And I'm, and I'm okay. All is good. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's a great place to wrap up. Um, I yeah, thoroughly enjoyed uh, this discussion, Mark. Um, Mark, I would love to know what, what are some of your favorite deconstruction resources? What are some books or podcasts that you really enjoy? Um, I definitely would pick up the book Religious Refugees Deconstructed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I would pick up that book. I would second that. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, I appreciate that book because it does, it's meant to be read in community and there's discussion questions. Churches are using it for their small groups. And, you know, it's, it's a very powerful way to engage the book through that way. I think Kathy Escobar's book is just top of the line. I, I, her book is just simply incredible. If you don't want the religious or if you want a pure psychological book, in the sense of, yeah, I'm just, I want a book. I don't want to deal with spirituality or religion. Marlene Winnell's book uh, is a is a powerful book. Um, Leaving the Fold, I think it's called. Um, and of course, they, there's a Deconstructionist podcast. Is the what is it? The oh, they're going to kill me. The Heretic Happy Hour. Harry, yeah, thank you so much. Sorry, guys. Um, yeah, of course, Pete ends. And listen, I, I did read uh, Brian McCarron, McLaren's new book coming out in January. And, uh, you know, it's on doubt and basically the deconstruction reconstruction process. Absolutely freaking brilliant. I mean, a gem. Just uh, it's going to be a real powerful. And I would continue. I would say continue to listen to you guys. Really. Well, thank you. Oh, thanks, yeah. Mark. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, can you tell our listeners where they can find you, how they can connect with you? Yes, I'm socially inept when it comes to media. So, I, you know, I almost feel like a dinosaur, but Facebook is probably going to be the best, you know, just not on Snapchat and, you know, I barely do Twitter. So I'm, I'm uh, old school. Yeah, but, but I'm not so old that I'm saying, listen, connect with me on MySpace. So I, I'm I'm still, Facebook is going to be the best way. I do have a site, conspiringprayer.com, which is where you can find more of my deconstruction and reconstruction thoughts on, on petitionary prayer more specifically. And that's going to be the best way. I do have a, a therapy website, markgregorykaris.com, and I can see people in the state of California. 
other than that, those are going to be the best ways. Thank you so much. This has been amazing. It's been so good to chat with you. Awesome. Appreciate the both of you. Thank you. Well, that was an amazing conversation with Mark. I was, um, I, I really thoroughly enjoyed it and was blown away with, with that discussion. Uh, I'm super pumped to uh, read that book with my small group and go through all the questions. I think it will really help us give compassion to each other on where we are in our journey and give us something exciting in our relationship with God to look forward to. We're so thankful that Mark gave us that time today. Um, all of the resources that he mentioned, um, books that we've that we mentioned throughout the entire podcast will be on our show notes. And I will also put information about how to contact Mark. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.